Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Our guest today is COO Alliance member and the COO of the Real Success Network, Stephen Foray. Stephen works closely with Brian Walsh to help elevate and grow the Real Success Network internationally. Having run multiple businesses over the years, his own commitment to personal and professional mastery led him to the organization. Under their combined leadership and complementary skills, Real's collective vision has positioned the company as a leading global authority on entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continuous education. Powerful and humble, Stephen's process-driven approach has helped systemize and scale the business globally while impacting the lives of millions. For striving for and encouraging the team to be better humans, he's earned loyalty and trust, attracting the highest quality people from around the world. Stephen, welcome to the Second Command Podcast. Thanks, Cameron. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to learning more about the business and, and you as well, but above the Real Success Network. Um, partially because I, I saw you on our COO Alliance call last night on our monthly call. I was like, God, I don't know him very well yet. So tell me tell me a little bit about the business first, and then we'll go back into some of Stephen as well. So give me more of a glimpse as to what the, the Real Success Network does. Yeah, sure. So I think the we've kind of got this focus or this belief that everyone's kind of far, they, everyone's capable of far more than what their life currently illustrates. And so we've kind of said about... Um, trying to help connect the, the best teachers and, and um, speakers in the world to to people who don't necessarily know them or have never necessarily been on a personal development journey, as well as those who are on that kind of that kind of frame. So we, we strongly believe in um, continuous educational self-improvement. And so, yeah, we're kind of on a mission to go and connect. I think it's, we, we're basically trying to connect a million people on a, on a personal development journey. So the business we run some, I think it's some of the largest um, online uh, personal development seminars in the in the industry at the moment. We run like large three day summits where we have multiple speakers teaching on all sorts of different topics from you know how to build your wealth, how to manage a business, or how to improve your own personal mindset. And um, we've got all sorts of topics that we cover just around sort of helping people get a breakthrough in the, in the various different areas. Um, and it's really just about encouraging. Like one of our biggest things that we do is we reach new uh, new audiences and new markets who've never necessarily taken a step in personal development, and help them connect on that journey and start learning more and becoming becoming more of who they are and sort of unleashing what their potential could be. And when you mean new markets, do you mean like geographic markets or demographic markets or economic markets? Like what do you mean by new markets? So we've kind of got a combination. So we actually come from the background of running um, live physical events in based in South Africa. And we've sort of ran those for a long time. Um, and we started streaming online just mostly for the sort of South African context. And um, yeah, I mean, since COVID, we had to kind of shift our whole business because we could no longer do that. And so we've expanded to being online and global. So we've, we've reached new markets in terms of geographic. So we're, we've now got customers from about 197 different countries. Um, and you know, it's, we've just had this massive global reach, but the other side of it is we're, we're connecting speakers. For example, like we've got a lot of speakers based in the UK who have always done a lot of work in the UK. Now we were able to connect, um, people in the US, in Caribbean, Australia. I think we even had somebody from Antarctica on one of our calls. And, um, so we're connecting, um, audience from different geographic areas 
to speakers and teachers who they may never have heard of before in different regions. So it's this combination of we've got speakers from all over the world and we've got audience from all over the world and we're we've sort of reaching more and more people from different regions and bringing them all together. Um, so yeah, especially we've done a lot of polls in our in our summits and most of the time we've got um, the room of room about audience is about eighty percent of people have never heard of the speaker before. Go and build this amazing connection with these incredible teachers. Um, and yeah, so we're just reaching your audience in, in basically all aspects of that. Amazing. I love that you had a speaker from Antarctica. I was just paid to speak while I was in Antarctica. So I was just <laughs> down there um, a few months ago, and it was the seventh continent that I've now been paid to speak on. So I spoke to a group of entrepreneurs while I was down there. It's pretty fun. So how do you make, how does your company make money? How does Real Success Network make money then? Because I understand the connecting of the speakers with the audiences and then the, the move from being live events um, to, to online. I'm going to talk about that or ask about that in a second. But how do you, how do you make money? So our model is really around, um, so we, we bring in audience. So we typically work off um, free summits. So we have a lot of free events, which kind of attract people into the space. And then um, we work with some of our speakers, sell products as well. If you, if you like to work um, further with them, uh, they will typically got an offer that you can use to go and work with them. We facilitate that whole process. So we, so where, where we sort of add value is we bring the audience to the speakers. We run all the marketing. We run the sales. We run the customer service and we run all the back end stuff. And then we pass those leads on, you know, once a product has been purchased, we pass those leads on to, to the speaker. And the way we make uh, money on that is we share a model of, uh, we do a revenue model, revenue share model. And then off the back of that, there's additional commissions if there's upsells and things like that. So, so we work through, we add value and, and take a revenue share by bringing that new audience to the speakers. And what kind of revenue, what kind of percent are you taking? 30%, 50%, 10%? It varies, but it's in the region of between, depending on the product, but in the region of between 40 to 60%. Okay. And so I, I have a couple of products, right? I have my Invest in Your Leaders course, which is a, a leadership development course to grow managers into leaders. It's being used by companies around the world. Would, would that be something that I would speak to an audience and then I would teach them about stuff and I'd say, you know, if you want more, you sign up for this course and I'd give you, you know, 50%. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah. So the way it might work in that case is we would put on a, put on a particular event to our audience. So we bring a, bring an audience together. We put on an event with a thousand or a couple of thousand people in the room. You would present, add value. Typically we'd run like a free event. And so people must be able to walk away from the free event having received some sort of value with something they can learn and do straight away. And then you would pitch the product and we'd facilitate the whole sale. And then we'd keep a share of that revenue and pass that on to you. And then any additional upsells, like for example, you've got your investment leaders course. You might do, I don't know, like a one on one coaching or something off the back of that. So during your course, you might pitch a, a further or higher ticket uh, model of a product um, where people want to work further and in more depth. Um, and then we would take a commission on that as we brought you the lead, but it, a much smaller commission. It's interesting. Um, yeah, and it's funny. I'm, I'm horrible at selling from the stage. I'm really, really good at delivering content. I get like high, high, I think I have a 9.73, um, average rating uh, after doing almost 800 speaking events in 26 countries. I have a very high rating, very high delivery and, and I'm terrible at selling anything from the stage. I'm horrible at it. So do you guys work with the thought leaders to teach them how to do that? Or do you only work with thought leaders that naturally do that already? And we have a combination. So like we've got a, we've got a whole speaker management team and, uh, and they work closely with our marketing analytics team around how do we, how do we get the best results for, for the guys? So 
we'll typically work on, we're working on bringing high quality audience, but we're also working with each of the speakers to improve their conversion. So if they're selling, we'll look at all the stats afterwards and try and help them and, and provide some advice. Like we do also have some experts that we know in the industry where we'll say, look, go and, you know, speak with these guys or work with them around improving the sale. Um, but we also offer advice and stuff around how best to structure things, how best to structure an offer. Uh, we'll work on putting a stack together. We'll help them around that and just building the whole funnel. So a lot of speakers that we work with don't necessarily have a funnel. So they don't necessarily have like a, what we call a level one or two and a three product. Mm-hmm. And so we'll help, sometimes help them craft that and produce a, a you know valuable set that they can take to stage. And then again, you'll help them imp- increase on those sales when they're speaking on stage because it's quite a different thing. We've also noticed it's quite a different thing selling from stage versus selling on a webinar. And yeah. um, so the guys have translated those skills and we try and add as much value as we can to help it because obviously it's a win-win situation in that case as well. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't guess that a Pete Vargas would be a competitor of yours then. He would just be kind of in around your space and working with speakers, right? Yeah, I mean, potentially. Like we, I mean, we would leverage whatever skills we can to help. But like, for example, our speakers aren't, also aren't necessarily exclusive with us. But part of the reason they keep coming back to us is we try and make like our company the best to work with from a speaker's point of view, and we connect them with new audience, and, and we're one of the biggest promoters in that space. And so we would we don't necessarily have competition, um, but we would work and we have to work with other promoters, other area, other people in that skill set, because um, it has results all around. And so your speakers that are are presenting are not being paid to speak for you; they're doing it because of the audience, because of the the market that you're bringing to them in the back end. Is that right? It, it depends. So we, we do have some speakers we pay. Um, so we might bring like, like typically what we would term like a headliner. Um, so we might bring a headliner in who, who attracts audience. And sometimes we would pay them for that. Um, sometimes there's a bundled sale agreement where we recoup some funds. Um, typically a sales speaker, we would, they wouldn't, um, we wouldn't pay them to be on a stage because they, they make him quite, they, they right. typically make a lot of that deal anyway. Um, but yeah, but you might pay. You might pay a Simon Sinek or a, a Gary Vaynerchuk as the draw, and then other speakers are coming in because they know they've got the market to sell to. Correct. Like we've had, and like in that context, like some of the headliners, we work a lot with Les Brown. We've had Mel Robbins on our stage. We've had Robin Sharma, um, you know, some really big names in the industry. And those are, you know, like typically our headliners. Some of them do have products to sell and we'll work with them around that too. But yeah, it kind of depends. Robin Sharma told me that I was one of the best speakers ever seen. Oh, fantastic. We need to have you on <laughs> stage. Another great, he's a great Canadian. Um, okay, interesting. So I understand the model. Where do you get your audiences from? Where do you where do you find and, and market to these audiences? Are you buying traffic? Is it through the promotion? Is it joint promotion with all these speakers sharing with their list? How does that work? So we, again, we have a combination, but our primary channel at the moment is um, typically paid advertising. We run a lot of ads through Facebook to reach a lot of new audience. Um, and that's from various regions. So we've got specific regions we try and target as well. Like we work a lot with um, typically the US, Canada, um, UK and Europe, and then um, Australia, New Zealand, that sort of area is a little bit more challenging. Uh, but we typically run most of our traffic through um, through paid advertising. We're actually just working on building a, a partnerships team. We have, we have worked with affiliates in the past. And um, so we're actually on a big drive at the moment to build big partner networks and work with that because I think we can put together quite an attractive deal for, for partners. And so we're on a big drive with that. We were aiming to have that to something like about 30% or so of our, our bookings and everything to come through partners by the end of the year. So we're on a big drive there. But at the moment, yeah, it's mostly paid ads. Interesting. Okay, so and so, what's the demographic? Who's showing up to your, most of your events? Or is that a fair 
is there a most of your events category or do you cover like you know single teenage girls to like well i guess most are are single to like you know um, adults with kids to business owners to like do you have different categories are you pretty um pretty kind of broad in, in your everybody shows up for every event kind of thing like a tony robbins might do yeah, I mean, we do have quite a broad audience, um, just from, from our initial summit. So, so when we go to market with our main, our main lead generators or our main revenue drivers at this point is our summits. And so those have a very wide or very broad audience uh, appeal because we, we're covering so many different topics. So we typically target anywhere around sort of from the age of 30 up. Um, and then kind of within that, we have some specifics that we target, but that's kind of like the general category, right? Anyone who's kind of interested in improving their life and they're in the age of 30 up typically will find value. We do have, um, we've got a whole community that we're building off the back of this. We've already got like over 10,000 members in that community and, and that's growing rapidly. And within that space, we're doing a lot more targeted stuff. So we can have, you know, specific people who are interested in maybe wealth building. We've got different channels and different journeys around that. Um, so we are getting a bit more um, precise and a bit more targeted within within our space. But in order to bring people in the front, um, it's definitely a very wide demographic. What we have found as well is we used to do a lot of very entrepreneurial stuff, um, which I love. Like I love that space, love being in there and being able to add value there. But Crowded space. <laughs> very crowded space. And um, to get also entrepreneurs, like typically very busy. So to attend a three-day live online summit is sometimes a bit of a challenge. Um, but yeah, we're getting really good results out of um, just having a, a very broad approach from the start. Um, typically, like I say, from the age of 30 up, um, it's people who are in that space willing to change and, and have the resources to do some something about changing their life or changing the direction that they want to pursue. Um, so yeah. Interesting. Okay, so it makes sense on the entrepreneurial side. I want to back up a little bit. Two and a half years ago, you were an in-person events company, similar model, but focusing on South Africa. That's a big leap. That's a big leap to go from South Africa. It's like, are you you guys are like Rodriguez all of a sudden. You're like only known in South Africa to being known ever. You know who I'm talking about? The searching for sugar man. Yeah. <laughs> only known in South Africa to being like a global phenom overnight. Like how did you go, how did you make the transition from being this only in South Africa events? Or were you only in South Africa event space? Did you do live events all outside South Africa? So I mean, so it's interesting because I I I wasn't technically part of the company back then i mean i was involved but i was doing i was actually doing some contracted software development for the business and so um it was towards the end of it was end of 2018 i got involved doing some software development for the company to actually build out a, a sales management tool and then um towards 2019 i got i just got more and more involved um and beginning of 2020 we were like so the company was still doing live events in south africa so we would typically put on our big real success summit at the beginning of the year in January. And so we did that in 2020, um, really big. Like we had three and a half, four thousand people in the room, um, but we were broadcasting online. We were streaming online on Zoom as well already then. And so we had, but we had very small teams. Like we had like maybe four or 500 people on, on Zoom yeah. over the weekend. And, but we'd been doing that for ages. Like the company had been doing that for a long time, doing webinars, doing um, streaming, whatever event that we did, which was streaming. Okay. Similar sort of approach though. Free events, um, very broad audience. And then we typically go into our Feb, um, entrepreneur conference. And again, same sort of format, but we would do in person and streaming online. And then we would, I was, because I was, I was still based in France at that point, but I traveled back to South Africa in January and in February for our events. 
and started seeing like COVID starting to pop up and, you know, seeing it on the news and realizing like this is coming. And um, basically end of March, we got the news that South Africa was going into lockdown. We had to cancel, reschedule a whole lot of um, really big events that we'd already collected money for tickets. Um, and so we kind of panicked like, well, <laughs> like now what? So, yeah, but because we've been doing it so long online, we, and, and our whole company was already working remotely. So like all our operations kind of carried on the way they were, and we just switched to doing it just on Zoom. And, um, we started connecting with partners and connecting with everyone else and as many people as we could. And we just put on a connection event. Like guys, everyone just wants to connect. Everyone's sitting at home in lockdown. They don't know what's happening. It's a scary situation. And we said like, no sales, just connect, just kind of get in the groove. And we had a whole, a whole lot of teachers connect with us and jump on our summit and we ran that and we just had, it, it just exploded. Like, and it's just kept going from there. Like it's <laughs> like, we were very fortunate to be in that position. And so that the timing worked out really well for us and we were yeah. able to pivot into online and just keep going with it. It's, it's interesting for, for me, the, the, um, for the COO Alliance, COVID was the best thing that could have happened because it really did force us to completely recreate the model and go from being we used to have five events per year and members picked three of the five events to come to and they paid 20 grand plus travel for three events and now it's 8900 and it's all over zoom and we got members from 17 countries and it's it's seven times as, as many members as we had you know two years ago it's crazy so yeah now it's like holy shit this this is a whole new model will you ever go back to the in-person events again or will you will you stay away from them I don't know. Like we're, we're getting, I mean, we're getting asked that a lot. Um, the, the challenge is because we, like I said, we've got customers from like 197 countries. So like, where do we start? Um, I think what we'll probably end up doing, like, like we love the online model because we can reach so many people and because, um, it's quite convenient. And obviously like the, the, the outlay of having to run venues and all this kind of thing for our model, like, you know, it's comfortable to run it online, but obviously we've got to see what the market, what the market dictates. Like what I suspect will happen is we'll, probably end up planning we, we definitely want to do some in-person events but we want to try and run that off the back of our community just wanting to connect and get together um what we may end up not, doing not as the focus yeah exactly we may do some like hybrid events or something like that where we have like like we're quite keen to do and we've done it in the past where we had like a physical event in in one or two different cities and so there's a small group of people in a room you've got one or two speakers on stage and then you've got the other streaming in on live video and that event has been broadcast online to the rest of the audience. So we'll probably do something like that. Um, we'll kind of see how it plays out, but, um, we, we're building quite a strong audience and strong communities in, in quite a few different cities. So we could probably start putting something like that together, um, early next year, I think. Okay. Where did you guys struggle in terms of making that pivot in terms of making the, the change from the, um, you know, that offline business to the, the online business, where did you struggle? Probably the biggest struggle was just like scaling up. Like we, we ended up, we almost ended up like breaking our systems. Like everything happened so fast. Like we, we used to run a system that, that our webinars, for example, and it was great for like five or 600 people. Suddenly we're getting 4,000 people on it. Then it like doesn't cope with anything more than two hours. Um, like I think we struggled a lot from just getting our systems in order and, and doing it quickly enough to cover the growth of the business. Like we grew really fast. And then also just, you know, going from, from a very sort of scrappy entrepreneurial space to starting to build out like a bit more structure and order in the business and make sure we're not dropping balls. 
um, and just having a, a consistent experience. So I, I think our biggest struggle was just really scaling the company up to to be able to handle what was happening from a, from an influx of sales marketing. Where's your team? Where's your team now? I mean, you said you were always a remote company. Are most of your teams kind of in the the Africa kind of time zones, or are you Africa and European time zones, or do you have much of a team in North America? So we've got so we're up to about twenty five people at the moment, and most of them are actually based in and around Johannesburg in South Africa. So we've got most of our team are in the same time zone, but we've got a couple of people in Cape Town and Durban, and then we've got. Um, we do have a team in the U.S., so we've got a, a um, our, we've got a U.S.-based customer service team based out of Seattle um, to cover the like completely opposite time zones, and okay. then we went in Toronto and Serbia. So we're like a little bit spread out, but the majority of our teams in Johannesburg. Is it true that the um, is it true that that hiring people in South Africa is cheaper than North America? Is South Africa like you know a thirty percent discount to North American pricing or? Probably more like forty percent. Um, yeah, there's definitely there's a huge difference in cost of living. Um, South Africa, like especially now that I'm back in Europe, like South Africa is so much cheaper in, in many regards. Um, it, it's on par in, say, in some cases, but I think overall your your overall cost of living is definitely cheaper than most American cities. And so yeah, and and also like there's it's a bit of a challenge. Like there's there's actually so much. Um, it's funny chatting to some of the guys in the CRO Alliance. Like, it seems really difficult to find staff in the US now. And there's, I mean, South Africa's still got like a 35% unemployment rate. So there's, there's plenty of people looking. Um, so you can find some really good people. You can pay them really well for in a South African context. And it's definitely still on the cheaper side than hiring in the US. Except the time, except the time zones, right? I guess that's the only issue for dealing with North America is the time zone issue. Well, I mean, I suppose it's the time zone, but also like we've got a lot of customers from out of the US. So you, mm-hmm. you've got the time zone challenge, but you've also got, there's a cultural difference. Like there's, you know, that sort of shared history and experience of life, you know, it makes a difference when you're trying to connect really well with customers. Our South African team does do really well, but we, you know, there's definitely a, I think there's a difference in ease and sometimes in language. Um, so there's other things to consider, but yeah, otherwise, uh, we, we were actually chatting about the, that this morning in a team meeting around just talking about potential customer service expansion and where do we start hiring and this kind of thing. That's it's, interesting. It's, it's funny. I, I hired Elon Musk's brother, Kimball, uh, in 1993. And then I also hired his cousin, Peter Reeve, who built Solar City. And I, I remember Peter was, was Canadian. So he didn't have the same accent that Kimball had. And I just remember thinking Kimball was so smart. Now I realize he was just South African. Uh, he was also very, very smart, but, um, it's amazing the accent, right? You could hire the, the dumbest guy in South Africa because you got a South African accent, you win. It's an amazing advantage you've got over uh, over the Canadians and Americans like me. So, okay, tell, talk to me about the, you said, did I hear you say that you got into the business kind of on the tech side and then have moved into the operations side? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So walk walk me through that path because that's not a normal path to go through. So, yeah, I mean, it's quite a different path, actually. So I actually, I, I basically run through the whole experience as a customer. Um, I used to have a software development agency. So I started that, well, I technically started that out of college as a bit of a side hustle. And then in 2010, I was running that full time. Um, and for a couple of years that we were doing okay, we sort of had some ups and downs. And then in some of the downs, I was like, oh, you, you know, I hear these things about you need a mentor. Like, I don't even know where to look. Like, I'm trying to do this on my own. And um, it wasn't really getting anywhere. So funny enough, like my wife actually came across an ad, you know, for one of so Brian Walsh, our CEO, he was putting on these events. I came across an ad for this free event. 
And it's like, well, I need a mentor. This kind of showed up. It kind of seems like the right thing. So I just went to one of the events. And um, I ended up just getting into it and I was part of the, the membership program. I bought like a ton of products. Um, I tried all this, you know, I was trying all the marketing training, sales training, like every different aspect of it. I ended up, the end of that year, I ended up spending like a lot of money on training courses and I ended the end of the year around about break even. So I, like something was working, like I was able to progress and find some, find the money to spend on these courses and, and sort of deliver on it. And I just got more and more into that and I started doing coaching. Um, I, when, when our CEO launched a coaching program, I jumped on that and we were doing business coaching out of that for a couple of years. And as that coaching relationship evolved, it was like he was looking for someone to do the website and the tech side of things. I was running a software agency. So we ended up changing from me being a coaching client to getting coaching and doing the website and getting paid for it. And then I just got more and more involved from a tech side. And then he brought me on sort of full time to run, to build out and run a sales management platform. And like my highest sort of value is, is building businesses. I love, I love business. I love trying to make stuff work and fix things and, and just evolve this structure and order. So when that project kind of came to an end, um, I was, I just started sort of poking around really. Um, and I found some stuff and I was able to jump in and fix and the relationship sort of just evolved. And then. I got very involved in a lot of the finance stuff and the operations, just kind of naturally, it kind of just happened. And then when, when COVID came and we pivoted the business, we changed the business structure. And that's when I sort of got involved as a shareholder and as a COO. So that was kind of my path. <laughs> with, with your digital agency that you were running, what was the size of that? We were quite small. Like at our biggest, we were a team of four. Um, so okay. we were a pretty small agency. Uh, but yeah. But you were still you. Were, but you were the entrepreneur. You were the one who started that, and, and you built it out. Why would you make the switch from? And by the way, have you have you done? We were talking about this on our call the other night for the CEO Alliance. Have you done your Colby profile? Do you know what your four numbers yeah. are? Um, I, I I was looking at it the other day, so I haven't spent too much time on the Colby. Like I know it's a seven and a two, and I'm not sure what the other ones were. <laughs> um, but yeah, I started. I done that. Done the Colby profile. We we work on a. We typically run, um, I don't know if you know, Contribution Compass or Wealth Dynamics. Mm -hmm. We work on something similar to profiling tool to that. And so my natural energy is is creative but systems-based. Yeah. Um, well, the, the the fact that you have a high first number means you ask a lot of questions too. So so it's kind of like the fact-finding to build out the systems, I think. I'm, I'm really curious what your number is and, and whether you have a very high third number um, or whether it's more medium high, because most entrepreneurs have a very, very high third number, like an eight, nine, or a ten. Um, so I'm curious as to where you are. Tell me about the the transition from when you were the entrepreneur to becoming the COO. What was that move like? That was an interesting one for me because it was like one of the things I battled as you battled with as the the, the entrepreneur was that. Like I wasn't necessarily the ideas guy. Like, give me an idea and I'll make it happen. I'll run with it. I can come up with some of the ideas some of the time, but they're not my natural entrepreneur to be in COO. Like, so Brian, our CEO, like he's he's the ideas guy. Um, and so we actually found like a really good working model and really good partnership in that space because he's got the big vision and the big ideas, and I can take that and translate that into a working business. And so we found like a really good fit in that space. Um which I, I think I was sort of like I was missing in from trying to do everything on my own as an entrepreneur. So I have some ideas and get them going and I get, you know, get into the, the building of the operations and the processes. Um, and also like I'd, 
tend to shy away a little bit from the sales and marketing side. But when we when we connect and we work together in that space, it works really well. How did you and how did you and Brian divide and conquer? How did you guys decide who was going to manage what and you know what what your lanes were going to be and what his lanes were going to be? And it was quite. I mean, we kind of focused originally, kind of focused on around um, just Brian would kind of sort of have the have the vision and idea and focus on filling the summit. So he focused on the marketing side of things and making sure we're out there and, and you know getting the traffic and the revenue and that kind of thing. And then I focused very much on the operations of building out the actual structure of the company. Um, so putting the teams in place, managing the team, putting building the customer service and finance. Um, so I think we we had a kind of natural split there. Yeah, and then I've just got the like I've I've got the the drive to I want to sort of run the business side, and Brian's like, well, I don't need to run it. So we're happy with our our separation of roles. There it works quite well. It sounds like you had to deliver on the promises of the marketing guy. Yep, <laughs> which is which is pretty awesome. Okay, what was the size of the business uh, when you joined? You said you're about twenty five employees now. What was the size when you joined? I think we were at about eighteen. So we and we and we managed to maintain that through COVID, and then we started hiring additional people. Probably in the last year, we started adding more team members. So, what's the vision for the company now, and how do you stay aligned with that? So, the vision of the company is ultimately that we've got the goal of connecting a million people and learning journeys on a global basis. Like, and, and we've so Brian and I have done a lot of work around like what we want out of a like what do we want for ourselves, and you know, sort of our our vision and like. So we're both quite keen on travel. So we want to be able to travel the world and work remotely and this kind of thing. So that fits in quite well. And we just want to connect with people and connect people on, um, you know, connect people with teachers who can help them in their business and their life. And so we, we kind of, and we did a whole bunch of sort of equations that we worked out from our personal, like what we want to build in terms of personal wealth and this kind of thing. We tied it all back and it actually like very, I don't know, coincidentally or what, but landed essentially at those numbers. Of, it, it worked out exactly to be like, if we did this for a million people, we'd hit all our goals. So we, we kind of just focusing on, on building that out. And, <laughs> but we worked out like if we're carrying on at the process we're at now with the sort of speed we've had over the last year or so, or last two years, it would take us about 62 years to get there. So we know we want to grow the company. We want to, we know we want to make a substantial in, increase in, in the impact that we make. And so we're just going to keep building on that. Oh, how do you shorten that sixty-two year time horizon? And how do you how do you make that faster? I always remember. I think it was Elon Musk was quoted like, "Take your ten-year plan and, and think about how can you do it in six months." So I keep joking that we can do it in three years. Well, I, I say joking, but I keep saying like, "I'm sure we could do it in three years," and I get a lot of pushback. But ultimately, it's really just scaling what we're doing. So because we're because we're online, like the volume is just really getting advertising makes to work. And so as we're scaling up, we've, I mean, we've doubled the sort of revenue or the sort of marketing spend pretty much. Um, we, we've doubled it substantially since last year to this year. We've doubled the size of our January events twice in a row. So we're just trying to keep on track with that. And there's a bunch of other things we're doing on the back, like our community. We've all the strong community around it. And so we, it's really just taking what's working and making it run like clockwork and scaling it up. Yeah, it's in terms of shortening that time horizon. So what we're looking at doing is just taking what we're doing and scaling it up. Because we're online, we can take the, we can sort of just increase our, I mean, it's a fine balance between increasing our ad spend and basically bringing in new leads. And the backend systems don't have to scale as much. So we're, we're looking at what's working and scaling that up and finding other channels to, to, you know, go to market. So through partners and through affiliate networks and things like that. And just really sort of pushing where we can scale those, those, Frontline 
numbers up. And then we're also building a massive community off the back of that. So we're, we're taking people through our initial summit process. We're, we're doing a lot of work on connecting people into our community and um, adding a lot more value and context around that. Um, and that's going to build the back end side of things. Um, and yeah, working with all our speakers around producing better results through the whole process. It sounds like I, I'm, I'm um, being brought to Estonia this summer to speak to a group called Mind Valley. Is that a similar, are they playing in around your space at all in terms of like the community component or the, the speakers? And do you know them? I think the concept of what, what they built in, in their platform is a little similar to what we're doing in community. There's definitely some potential overlap. Um, we are building, so like, like where we are, where we mainly different is our summits, our big online live, um, you know, in person or live, live events online. And so what we're doing is we're focusing a lot around what we're doing there and, and we're building a community around that. So we, we're looking a lot about how do we improve the summit experience? How do people get more value out of that? And then we're adding a ton of content and courses and things like that in the back end. So it's not quite the same as mind value. There's definitely a, a separation in how, how we operate, but it is, there are some similarities and maybe a little bit of overlap. I like the fact that you're building the community and the courses. So are you building the courses about for all of your thought leaders so that then you take the revenue share off those as well? Is that how that, that plays out? So we don't typically build the courses. Um, so we'll, we'll typically like in our community space, we'll, no, but you might, you might link to them. Correct. Yeah. So it'll link through to them and it'll, so we will often try and put a bundle. So where we also specialize, we try and put a bundle deal together. So it's something that you can get through us that you can't get anywhere else. And mm. um, so we work because of the, the volume and the scale that we play at, we can try and work slightly different deals. And so if you're in our community space, we can offer slightly different compositions of products. Um, and also because we connect so many different teachers, there's some overlap that we can sort of play to, to a strength. That's, I love that. We should, we should sit and talk offline because there could be a really good opportunity for us to do something with the Invest in Your Leaders course where we give, you know, preferred pricing to all of the members of your community. And then we give a, re a referral fee to you guys for being a partner. Uh, we should talk. So talk about going from the free, like attracting all these people who aren't paying anything, and then you're going to convert them into paying customers for all these other speakers. How does that how do you work that and how do you know that that i mean you know it's working because you're doing it but how do you do it how do you make sure that it works because it seems like such a jump that i wouldn't normally go after like i, I would rather go after somebody who at least pays a hundred bucks they have skin in the game right you guys have you're not worried about that how, how does it work well well i wouldn't say we're not worried about it um <laughs> it's always like the challenge is it is a bit of a risky model um and you know there's definitely some potential like like there's always potential that we could go and spend a ton of money on advertising and then nothing happens off the back of that so we do run a risk there and we've, we've learned a lot in in you know the years that we've been doing this around what what we're willing to spend on on leads and what how that converts and where they come from so we do a lot of work around the analytics and the data behind all of that. So we know, like, if we if we pay X amount for a lead, we know on average they'll spend so much in a in a summit, you know, and we know what that back end looks like. And so we've got a fairly predictable model around it. Where 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 that's quite different for us is that we're because we built the predictability around it, we can take the risk and go to market for that and get new audience that speakers would not necessarily have found, in, you know, otherwise. Um, and so. The model works for us in that context, but we have also tried like, but that's, that's where we specialize. That's what, like, we're able to pull summits and make it work. And um, we have, we have looked at doing paid events in the past and often that doesn't quite pan out the way we <laughs> typically want. 
Like we've just got, we've just managed to get a model that works really well to attract and fill free summits and turn those into paying clients. Um, and then it's all about optimizing every step along the way to make sure that we've got the right show rates and the right conversion rates and all that kind of stuff. That's amazing. It's really cool that you've made that leap and you're making that connection for your, your clients too or for the speakers that you're bringing in. Last couple of questions. I just want to know a little bit about your growth. So why did you join the CO Alliance? And you know where are you trying to focus your growth as a second in command of a company now? I think the, the biggest thing for me that I started looking for resources that could help me do this role because <laughs> I was actually listening to one of podcasts the other day around um, like what, what it is to be a CO and like the it's a really good question because there's so many different variations of what that job description looks like. There's no sort of one fixed framework as to what, what a CRO does. And so in order, like, like one of the things we've always been really big on, like myself personally, as well as in the business is, is we don't know how to do something. We're not the expert in that area. Go and find an expert, work with a coach, work with a mentor. So like, like we work, we've got an executive coach is brilliant that we work with. Um, I've got a, you know, I've got an, another executive coach I work with personally. I've worked with an accountability coach. And so when I saw this pop up, I was like, well, this is what I need to, to grow my knowledge in the area because this is a new role for me. I don't know anyone around me who, who knows this role really well. So I go and learn from a bunch of people who are doing it. Um, and so we're always being big on, on that. Like go and find the resources and find the knowledge. And I mean, just the, the amount of knowledge I've gained out of been in this membership for a short couple of months has been incredible and the people we can connect with and stuff it's just it's taken me to a much bigger level and so i just want to keep working on that are you doing it with your employees as well are you looking to grow their skills or do you just is it just you and brian i think we're all trying we're, we're trying to instill that as a culture so we we're building that a lot so we've got our so for example our whole marketing team now is that they're working on i think we are got them all on frank kern's um inner circle we've got our you know, we've, we've got different mentors in different areas and we try to encourage that every step of the way because it makes, it, it makes so much more sense. Like we, we get so much more value out of what our personal mm-hmm. skills and growth in able to deliver more value to the business. Yeah, I agree. It's funny. I was, I was coaching a client in um, Florida in the United States a few years ago and I'd coached them from about 40 people up to about 600, 700 people. And, um, He's, I taught him one of the skills that's in the Invest in Your Leaders course. And when he went through it, he's like, holy shit, this is going to change the company. I'm like, no, it's not going to change the company at all. What will change the company if you, is if you teach that skill to your 700 employees. But the fact that you got better in it isn't going to do anything. Like, you know, we have to we have to replicate. And I think so often the entrepreneurs growing their skills, but they're not investing in their leaders, not trying to grow their managers into leaders. They're just kind of, it's, so it's good that you're doing that across your organization. All right, let's go back to the 22-year-old Stephen. You're kind of playing rugby, getting started in your business career. What advice would you give yourself as a 22-year-old that you know you know to be true today, but you wish you'd known when you were 22? Probably, I think probably one of the biggest things would be like actually learning sales, like like just the everything around that skill. You know, like building, uh, being able to close a deal, being able to have the confidence to go out and talk to people. I think. Honestly, that would be one of the most useful skills I would I would want to learn earlier in my career. Actually, <laughs> by the time. It's funny. I, it's it, it's one of those rare things that I, I think people that are in sales wish they understood the rest of the business world. And people that are in the rest of the business world really wish they understood sales. It's almost like grass is always greener. <laughs> yeah, so true. Stephen Furry, the COO for the Real Success Network. I really appreciate the time with you sharing with us on the Second Man Podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Cameron. Great to be here. You've been listening to Second in Command, 
brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.